Benjamin Franklin once said that the only certainties in life are death and taxes. Don't worry, this episode isn't about taxes or money. It's about life and death. What if I told you that in magic, there was a way to extend your life? What if I also told you that there were ways to effectively kill your opponent's creatures or make them choose between blocking and taking damage? This episode is a double header and it's all about the lifelink and death touch mechanics. Hello and welcome to this episode of Magic the Gathering Under the Hood. As always, I'm your host Chris and I'm joined by Joe. Say hi, Joe. Hello, everybody. And first and foremost at the top of the episode, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, uh, you want to let us know your thoughts on uh, Double Masters 2022, you can do so by emailing us at mtgunderthehood at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at mtgunderthehood. And with all of that out of the way, Joe, what have you been working on deck-wise? couple different ideas going around in my head. So the the first one that I'm going to try to get together for tomorrow, the you know the Wednesday night commander uh, is a Naya Aura deck. It's headed by a new commander from Baldur's Gate called Mazzy. Basically it lets me put auras onto creatures, but if the aura goes to the graveyard, I have one turn cycle to get it back out of exile. And yes, I did say exile, so we're gonna it'll go to exile. I have one one turn to replay it, uh, so we're gonna try that out. See how things can work. I'm also retooling my Rakdos Goad Commander deck. I have a targeted Goad deck, Lorene and Camber, that I really really like. But every time I've played it, it's kind of felt more like it worked well out of sheer luck than actual good deck building. So we're going to try it again, and instead I'm going to take the Commander background pair from the Is It Precon from the from Baldur's Gate. So I believe it's Baileth, Baileth. It goads creatures. It's a red creature, and it goads creatures if they have a lower power than Baileth. And then there's the a background enchantment that lets me pay two, sacrifice an artifact to put a plus one, plus one counter on my Commander. So we're going to make it kind of an artifact goad theme idea. We'll see how that works. But what I'm really excited about, so I've, I've told you I've been playtesting my Orzov Prison deck for Pioneer, and I've been playtesting it a lot on Arena. I can get a variety of different ideas. And I know they don't have Pioneer, they have Explorer, but it's close enough to Pioneer, and it lets me give a close enough idea as to what the deck is going to actually do. Well, I was doing pretty well, and... Having a pretty good win rate, one day things weren't going well, and most of it I chalk up to my deck not working the way it was supposed to, which is fine. But there was one deck that absolutely wrecked me, and it was a Rakdos Prison deck that basically killed off any creatures I put into play and forced me to discard cards, then was going to come after me with Nighthawk Scavenger and Croxa. The, the Grave Titan, the, yeah, something like that. It, it's from Theros Beyond Death. Anyway, so basically I'm going to build my own version of that Rakdos prison deck. I really like it. I think it's a nice little, excuse me, alternative from the Orzov deck idea. It'll still have a lot of creature removal, copies of Thoughtseize, Fatal Push, all that fun stuff. Duress, Eliminate, 
We're going to use Nighthawk Scavengers like they did. I have a couple copies of Croxa. We're going to put that in there just like they did. But we're also going to use Graveyard Trespasser. And this is a werewolf from Midnight Hunt. When it enters the battlefield or attacks, it enables me to remove cards from my opponent's graveyard. And if I remove creatures, I, they lose a life and I gain a life. So it helps me to stabilize after the fact. And again, if I'm forcing the discard or killing off their creatures, there should be things in the graveyard that are available. Uh, and so I'm hoping it'll work out really well. I got to get all the cards together yet. I haven't completely finished it. And I figure if this doesn't work out well, I could also transition fairly easily into a Rakdos Sacrifice deck, which I've always enjoyed. So i got a lot of things brewing, just some think new ideas going on as we get into still looking for a Pioneer RCQ in the area, but we'll find one. Chris, what are your new deck ideas for this episode? So I've been working on like two or three uh, but I'm only going to touch on, well, actually, like, four or five, but I'm only going to touch on two of them. Okay. Uh, the first one is uh, Jan Jensen, uh, because I found, I was able to find a way, a lot of hoops to jump through, but I can still break them. Okay. Not being able to use Reconnaissance kind of set me back a little bit, but I found ways to kind of um, to break them by using Liquid Metal uh, Torque, which will let me turn them into an artifact. And then uh, draw Scorpion, which is whenever a artifact I control is put into the graveyard, I can untap a uh, artifact. So by using his ability to sacrifice an artifact uh, or artifact creature to create either tokens or hmm. uh, constructs, I'll always be able to untap them. And uh, so that way I can just go super wide. Um, and then, of course, I have things in there like... Uh, um, Cathar's Crusade, to where yep. everything gets really big. Um, it's add uh, plus one plus one counters, of course. Yeah. Um, and then it's uh, I can't remember the card name, but uh, it's whenever you put a plus one plus one counter on a creature, you pay one, um, and then you create a uh, um, artifact creature. So I could okay use the tre so use the treasure tokens, pay it, make a creature, you know, and just go roundabout way to where I can just go as wide as I want. Um, and then, of course, I'm in. it's in white, so have Anointed Procession, double up on my tokens, yep. and just have fun with that one. Or Divine, well, Divine Visitation wouldn't work out because you don't want to mm -hmm. You want to keep them as artifact creatures, never mind. Um, and then the second one that I'm working on is uh, Evelyn the Covetous. Uh, it's from New Capenna. It's a uh, vampire rogue. It's in Grixis colors, mm -hmm. or Maestros? Yeah. Yeah, uh, Grixis. We're old school. Um, and, uh, she has Flash, and whenever she enters, her or another vampire enters the battlefield under my control, exile the top card of each player's library with a collection counter on it. Once each turn, I may play a card from exile with a collection counter on it, if it was exiled by an ability you controlled, and, uh, you may spend mana as though it were any color to cast it. Um, so with this, I am going, uh, Vampire Tribal. Um, and then I'm also going to be putting in uh, Reflections of Lit... Uh, Litiara. Litiara. Yeah. From Kaldheim. Yep. Yeah. Which is... And then uh, and that one is whenever it comes into play, you name a uh, creature type, mm -hmm. and whenever you cast spells of that uh, um, type, you copy it so you create a token Yeah. Um, on cast. Um, and so being able to double up on our triggers, just exile everyone's stuff, Yeah. and be able to play it as I want, um, because it doesn't say that uh, she has to be on the field for it to resolve. 
Well, well, all right, sorry, correction. She has to be on the field because that's what gives me the um, the ability to play it. Great, judge. Let's look Second at this card. Ability. So, whenever Evelyn the Covetous or another vampire enters the battlefield, exile the top card of each player's library with a collection counter on it. Once a turn, you may play a card from exile with a collection counter on it. If it was exiled by me. So, yeah, you will need to have Evelyn the Covetous on the field in order to play those cards. However, the nice part about the way Evelyn is worded, typically when you see something like this, if a card is exiled using an ability and the, the same card that exiled it lets you also play that card, if your card, let's put some actual names here, let's say you have a card that is going to exile the top card of the library, the top card happens to be Giant Grove, hmm. all right? So... You exile a giant growth with your card, and I can't think of one off the top of my head that meets this criteria, but I know they exist. If your card, your permanent, would leave the battlefield and return, that giant growth is going to stay in exile if it requires you to just play the exile card. Your, your, your permanent is now a new object. It can't see the card that was already exiled. However, Evelyn exiles cards with a counter on, a counter on them. All right. And so even when Evelyn comes back into play, the second ability says that you play cards with those counters on them. So it'll still see all those other cards that you've already exiled, and, you can, and, and it basically doesn't matter that it's a new object. It's a new version of Evelyn. You can keep playing all of those exiled cards because they have the counter on them. So it'll be a really nice, interesting idea. Um, I'm interested to see what you do with it. Um, and then also with the whole reflections of Lake Gara. Yes. Um, that's also going to be going into my Arcades deck, and I'm going to be choosing walls because... Of course. Uh, even though I do have non-wall defenders, a vast majority of them are walls. And so yes. I'll be able to just go, oh, look. And it would double up on my triggers for uh, my draw triggers on Arcades because it's whenever it, it enters be, the battlefield. Yeah, you're right. So might I recommend a couple cards for you to take out? First on that list, I'm going to change the one I have from before, High Alert. Get rid of it. You don't need that card in there anymore if you're going to put Reflections of Lit Yara. Second on that list, Wall of Denial. You don't need it there anymore. You're good. You got it. So just some High Alert, Reflections of Lit Yara, or uh, Wall of Denial. And I'm sure there's another one that it gives your walls the ability to attack. I think you have a third. Mm. No? Just High Alert and Arcades? Uh, the only... So there's two other things that I can think of that lets me attack with uh, defenders. Um, and that is Warmonger's Chariot, which is an equipment. Okay, take that out. I don't have it in there. Oh, good. Then we don't have to worry about because it. Because my commander and, and enchantment already do it. Okay. Um, and then the other one is... Uh, it's a card from Khan's. Um, you can, uh, if you choose one or the other, I can't remember which one it is, but if you pay a green, you can have target creature with defender attack. Yeah, you can take that out too. You don't need to worry about it. See, you, you have options for how no, to No, I get... need redundancies no, and redundancies. No, you don't. I, no, you... I need backup remember, plans and redundancies to my backup Commander plans. is a singleton format that values difference, values variety. We're not, we're not 60 card formats trying to get the deck to do the same thing every time. It'll be Fine. With that in mind, as Chris ponders what to take out, and I keep giving him some good ideas, 
Let's talk about our words to live by. Our first word is, again, from the comprehensive rules, as we've had from the past couple episodes. This one is continuous effect. Now, continuous effects can get rather complicated and involved, but on their surface, an effect that modifies characteristics of objects, modifies control of objects, or affects players or the rules of the game for a fixed or indefinite period is a continuous effect. A great example of this is giant growth. Giant growth gives plus three plus three to a creature until end of turn. No matter when you cast that spell, it is modifying the power and toughness of a creature for a continued amount of time, and then it gives the time that it actually ends. Another great example is the white enchantment glorious anthem. It gives all creatures you control plus one plus one. Just a static ability, it just stays on the battlefield. Now this is a, still a continuous effect, but it doesn't have an actual end time to it. It's just constantly in effect. All right. So those are some different ideas that are continuous effects. And you can check out section 611 of the Comprehensive Rules for a lot of information on continuous effects. Um, and there are also a number of YouTube videos that you can, if you go out and find them, it'll have judges talking to you about continuous effects. Continuous effects by themselves aren't hard. It's when continuous effects start to interact with each other. That's when you get the complexity from continuous effects in magic. So, but on their surface, they're really simple. They can just get complex. So, a, uh, another example of continuous effect would be Microsynth Lattice. Uh, remind me the the wording on uh, all permanent star artifacts. Yes, it's a type changing. All right, it, it's a type changing effect. So uh, artifacts permanently or artifacts in addition to their other type. I don't remember. Uh, it, regardless, I believe it's type change. Uh, okay. Regardless, yes, Mycosynth lattice is another example uh, of a of a continuous effect. And again, Mycosynth lattice being an artifact, I believe. Oh. Uh, all permanents are artifacts in addition to their other types. All cards that aren't on the battle uh, battlefield spells and permanents are colorless, and players may spend mana as though were mana of any color. Right. So it's the first one that's well, um, the first and second one. So let's not get into the second one. The second one causes a lot of issues for people. But yes, the first one where where all permanents on the battlefield become artifacts in addition to their other types. Yes, that's another continuous effect. I need one for Jan. Yeah, I know you do, but <laughs> you go have fun trying to buy one of those. They are they are not easy to find and not cheap. Um, I believe it's also banned in one version of the game. Modern. In modern, it's banned. Yes. It's um, only a thirty dollar car. Well, thirty five. Yeah, only thirty five to forty. All right, Chris. What's our next word to live by? The next word to live by is gain and drain. This is a deck archetype that dedicates itself to gaining life and consequently draining life from your opponents. Um. A good example of a gain and drain style is uh, the combo known as uh, Blood Bond. It's Exquisite Blood and Sanguine Bond. Um, one of them is whenever you gain life, target opponent loses that much life. And the other one is whenever an opponent loses life, you gain that much life. So with that one, if you have both of those on the field, you actually generate, you actually, uh, you um create a infinite combo, uh, an infinite loop, well, pseudo-infinite. Pseudo-infinite, I mean, essentially, yes, anytime you, you end up doing the, all you have to do to set it off is cause your opponent to lose life or cause yourself to gain life, and yeah, you'll, you'll set up a nice gain and drain, continuous, kind of pseudo-continuous loop, 
I think they're based off of triggered abilities, but so they can get interrupted, but unless somebody has a way to stop it, yeah, they'll just keep looping and you gain and they drain. Uh, another great example is the extort mechanic. Uh, whenever you cast a spell, if you have something with extort on the battlefield, you can play, pay a black or a white, and you will gain a life. And every or no, sorry, each opponent will lose one life, and you'll gain life equal to the life lost that way. So there are a lot of opportunities with gain and drain. Um, and there's another one. Uh, uh, a creature that supports this one is uh, Gray Merchant of Vastville. Yes. Um, also known as Gary. Um, because his is whenever he enters the battlefield, each opponent loses X life, where X is your devotion to black, and you gain the amount of life that was lost. Yep. So, again, gain and drain. All right, and so let's get into the show focus now. And this is going to be a double header, so we are going to cover lifelink first, and then we will circle back and go through it all over again with death touch. Joe, you saw something really interesting whenever you were looking up the history so take it away so lifelink has actually been around for quite some time not one of the oldest mechanics in the in the game but it it has been around for a while but it started off as actually a triggered ability that read whenever this creature deals damage you gain that much life and notice it is a triggered ability at this point one of the earliest uh, premieres on this was armadillo cloak from the invasion set and then another one that's really important is Luxodon Warhammer. Now, Luxodon Warhammer gives the equipped creature plus three, plus zero, trample, and that same clause. What's interesting is that in the Lorwyn set, this same triggered ability became a keyworded ability, but they dropped the triggered component from it, which is an important characteristic that is very different bait from a, a keyword ability and a triggered ability. Now, keyword abilities sometimes do turn into triggered abilities, but in this case, the way they have lifelink set up, it doesn't work that way. Luxodon Warhammer, we're going to talk about a little bit more. It's one of the few cards from before Lorwyn to have received errata so that it now has lifelink on it. Uh, ever since Lorwyn, Lifelink has appeared in most sets in a small capacity in one way or another. You typically don't see a lot of creatures with Lifelink, but they do exist. It's a nice little bonus, a nice little ability to gain a little bit extra life, uh, and some sets do have that life gain component to them. Chris, why don't you talk to us about the rules for Lifelink? All right, first time doing the rules, so hopefully I don't mess this up. All right, so... With all of the uh, evergreen abilities, well, with all of the abilities, they all come from that lovely section of 702. Um, and so we'll start off with Lifelink, and that is uh, 702.15a. Lifelink is a static ability. Uh, 15b, damage dealt by a source with Lifelink causes the source's controller or its owner, if it has no controller, to gain that much life, in addition to any other uh, results that... Uh, that damage causes. See rule 120.3. 15C. If an opponent changes zones before an effect causes it to deal damage, its last known information is used to determine whether it had lifelink. 15D. Uh, The lifelink rule functions no matter what zone an object with lifelink deals damage from. This next one, super simple. 
If multiple sources with lifelink deal damage at the same time, they cause separate life gain events. So that one is you have three creatures with lifelink, they all swing in, your opponent doesn't, oh, your, either your opponent blocks or it doesn't block, all the damage is dealt. Each creature with each instance of the damage being dealt is different life gain instances, and that comes into play whenever you have things like, uh, uh, there's one, there's a white enchantment that whenever you gain life, you can pay one in a white, put that many plus one plus right. one counters equal to the life you gained. So you could activate that for each instance of life gain. Yes. Um, or a Johnny's Pride Mate is another great example. It gets, plus one, it gets a plus one plus one counter whenever you gain life. You have three creatures with lifelink deal damage. A Johnny's Pride Mate will trigger for each one of those creatures. Um, and then the last one, as always with the evergreen abilities, multiple instances of lifelink on the same object are redundant. Unfortunately, you can't have double lifelink and gain double life. No, that'd be kind of broken really quick there. <laughs> so... All right, so with all the rules out of the way, Joe, you mentioned it in the uh, um, uh, earlier in this episode, so let's get into the featured cards and tell us about Luxalon Warhammer. So Luxalon Warhammer is an artifact equipment. It costs three generic, and it originally showed up in the set Mirrodin. It has equipped creature, gets plus three, plus zero, has trample, and has whenever this creature deals damage, you gain that much life, and its equip cost is three generic. Now notice that it does have that triggered ability clause. Keep in mind, this is not the same as lifelink. When you have lifelink, whenever the damage is dealt, it's not, it doesn't go on the stack. It immediately adds that life to your total. All right? But the way Luxodon Warhammer was originally printed it's actually a triggered ability. So the damage would be dealt, you would have to wait until someone had priority, until priority was given to the active player again, for that to actually go on the stack and gain that life. This is an important distinction. This triggered ability, compared to lifelink, will make the difference sometimes in, in an actual combat or in a game at all. all right? Because when, when, you, when you're attacking use this example we were talking earlier. If you are going to attack your opponent, and let's say you have something, your opponent has something on the battlefield that says whenever you attack your opponent, you lose one life, all right? Um, or no, that wouldn't work, because obviously that would be a triggered ability that would go off after you attack. If you were at one life, it, it wouldn't work out. If something would go into effect, and I uh, don't, again... Scorch Spitter, whenever it, whenever it attacks, it deals one damage to defending player. Uh, probably still not what I'm getting at, but the idea is that if you were to deal damage to your opponent and your life total is at like at one, it would deal damage to you from your opponent, but you also have a creature with lifelink that would have, say it's a 1-1 one, one with lifelink and it gets through, even though for a brief period of time you're going to take one damage, but then you get the lifelink damage, or you get the life gain from lifelink, there's a, no point in there where your, you, you check state-based actions to see if you had zero life. So you can end up actually still winning, or I shouldn't say winning, you, should, you can stay in the game rather than losing. With the original printing of Luxodon Warhammer and it being a triggered ability, if you were to attack, deal the damage, you lose the life, you're not gaining that life back yet. You have to wait until state-based actions are checked to put that triggered ability on the stack. And by that point, you're already dead. 
there's no way to come back from it. Now the important reason we bring up Luxodon Warhammer is that it has been errated. And so now the Oracle text for Luxodon Warhammer says equip creature gets plus three plus zero and has trample and lifeline. So keep that in mind. Rather prominent card, been reprinted several times. Wonderful, wonderful equipment. Next, Chris. All right, so the next one is Changeling Hero. It's a creature shapeshifter for four generic and a white. It's a four four, has Changeling. Uh, we'll get to that in a later Another episode. In a later episode, <laughs> probably right, uh, either right before or right after banding. Um, <laughs> it, uh, it has champion the creature again. We'll cover we'll, that. We'll cover in that a later in another episode. episode. <laughs> and lastly, it has lifelink. Now, just so you know, um, if you look at this card, the text box for it is almost full. Yes, because of all of the reminder text. Um, but um, this is also a great example to point out. Lorwyn was the first time that Lifelink was introduced into the game. If you look at the reminder text for Lifelink... It's still the it's still the trigger. Exactly. It still looks like a triggered ability. All right. And it's even more, even more confusing because Champion a Creature also has the word when, which, again, signifies a triggered ability. All right. The difference is Champion a Creature is a triggered ability... Lifelink is not. So that's one of those things you really got to pay attention. Don't always trust the reminder text. Go to the comprehensive rules. Because as you can see from what Chris read, it's not a trigger to build. All right? It just happens. You just gain the life. So be careful of that. Our next card is Trained Caracal. Now this one actually comes from Return to Ravnica. It is a creature cat, 1-1, one, one, and it costs 1 white. It has lifelink. Now... We again want to point out this reminder text. After several blocks had gone by, the wording now in the reminder text has changed. And this could be, this honestly could be, that originally Lifelink was a triggered ability, and they have since changed Lifelink to be a non-triggered ability. I don't know. I wasn't playing during that time wasn't around for it, nor did I understand the rules that well when it was around. But the reminder text on Trained Caracal reads, damage dealt by this creature also causes you to gain that much life. All right, so keep that in mind. Again, you still don't really want to trust the reminder text, but it does illustrate the difference from when Lorwyn had its version of lifelink to now return to Ravnica many sets later, how lifelink had changed. Next, Chris, what do we have? Alright, we have a Planeswalker instead of a creature, and that is Soren, Vengeful Bloodlord, uh, Legendary Planeswalker, Soren, uh, costs two generic, a white and a black, and what we really want to focus on is his static ability. Um, in War of the Spark, Planeswalkers were given static abilities. Um, Many of them. If not all, many of them were, yeah. Uh, yeah, even the uncommon ones. All the uncommons, yes, for sure. I think most of the rares, too, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yep, because uh, some of the big rares were uh, Nyssa. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Soren has, as long as it's your turn, creatures and planeswalkers you control have lifelink. So he does not necessarily have lifelink, but he is granting lifelink to your planeswalkers and your creatures as long as it's your turn. Yep. Um, so that would be a continuous effect, would not it would be a continuous effect. It is a, an ability-granting effect. And so, yeah, it is true. That is true. Um, and what's notable about... Uh, what's nice about Soren is because he himself is a planeswalker and he doesn't say other planeswalkers... Correct. Um, 
his he has a plus two ability where he deals one damage to target player or planeswalker. So you plus two gain a life. Yep. And deal one damage. Um so Soren, I don't think he has seen much play, but it's nice to have um in my uh whenever I had a uh, Alinda, mm-hmm. which we will talk about in a little bit. Um when I had my Alinda deck, I had him in there. One for flavor reasons, because Sor- of course, because Soren is a vampire. Yes. Um, but also with vampires, there's uh, with uh, Alinda being a vampire, Lifelink is a very strong vampire. Mecha- uh, yeah. Vampire uh, favored. Yeah. Uh, especially, mechanic. especially when you're looking at the Orzov vampires of Ixalan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very much Lifelink. Very important. All right. So moving on to. Alenda the Dusk Rose. This is a legendary creature, Vampire Knight, for two generic, a white black. It is a 1 1 creature with lifelink. Whenever another creature dies, put a plus one plus one counter on Alenda the Dusk Rose, and then when Alenda dies, create X 1 1 white vampire creature tokens with lifelink, where X is Alenda's power. This is just again another great example of how lifelink can be used. Um, it's a great way to, as Alenda gets bigger, you can gain more life. Obviously, you don't start out using Alenda all that much, but you eventually make sure that other creatures on the board are dying off because, again, it doesn't say opponent's creature. It's whenever another creature dies. You're so you, in white and black, so yeah. you, can, you can definitely do aristocratic things. Exactly. And uh, her first ability is uh, works very beautifully with uh, Tesa. Yeah. Um... Because she is Death Harmonicon. Right. Um, uh, Tasa Karlov, I believe that's the one. Mm, yeah. It's one of the Tasas. Um, it's hers yeah. is whenever, if a creature dying would cause an ability to activate, it activates a second time. Right, trigger. But yeah. Well, it triggers a second time. Yeah. So with Alenda, it would be if a creature dies, you get two plus one plus ones instead of um, just one. And but where that plays in nicely is with her second ability and uh alinda actually saw a lot more play in commander after the rules were changed after the death triggers were changed to where you could actually make it into somewhat of a token deck oh absolutely and and alinda was was quite expensive when that first happened it's kind of sad to see that the card has dropped 50 percent in value since then but that's okay that's all right it's good to see the card coming down in price so that people can play the game more easily Chris, we have one more card, and I know you really wanted to talk about this one, so let's go ahead and chat about it real quick. All right, so the last one is Worm Coil Engine. Artifact Creature, Worm, it's a 6-6 for 6 generic mana. It has Death Touch and Life Link, and it also has when Worm Coil Engine dies, create a 3-3 colorless Worm Artifact Creature token with Death Touch and a 3-3 colorless Worm Artifact Creature with Life Link. So essentially, you kill it, it splits into two. Yeah, but just, and we're going to talk about this one again later. It's a solid creature. And gives the death touch and the lifelink ability to it. So, uh, but we'll talk more about why those are important another time later on in the show. All right, and we're going to get into the dominant colors. And for lifelink, uh, are these ones exact, or did you just stop counting? Uh, these okay. So these are these are precise numbers. The hard part when you start looking at these abilities in particular, number one, we've already talked about it. Some of the cards that have when this creature deals damage, you gain that much life. Like, like Luxon on Warhammer got errated. Armadillo Cloak has the same text, literally the same text, but did not get errated. So it's difficult to tell for sure. Also, at the same time, mixed in here are 
auras that will give grant lifelink. There are equipment that will grant lifelink. There are instants that will grant lifelink. There are enchantments. And as we can see from the one red card that grants lifelink, you, you can you can get lifelink in a variety of ways. Even a land. So, even a land has lifelink, yes. So when, when you look at it like this, what's, what's really important to note is the colors in which lifelink. So Chris, why don't you tell them what, what we're, the, we're talking about? All right. There is 147 in white, four in blue. 104 in black, one in red-ish, that's Najila, um, where you can give creature lifelink by paying Wooberg or white, blue, black, red, green. There is seven in green, 95 in multicolor, 19 in colorless, and one land. One land, which I think is Westvale Abbey, if I remember correctly, which is actually a flip or a, a double-faced double card. And so it's the backside of Westvale Abbey that is a massive demon that I think has the lifelink part of it. Something if I remember like correctly. But that seems about right. So what we really want to drive home, though, again, lifelink is dominantly in white. Dominantly in white. And then there's a lot of black cards as well that also feature life. When we start talking about some of the featured decks, again, there's usually a couple lifelink cards in every set. If you start to see a lot of them, probably means there's a life gain strategy. Uh, great example, uh, there were, actually there's been a couple, it's typically a black-white, an Orzhov color pair, where you do see the life gain strategies. I want to say Zendikar Rising, the Orzhov color pair had a, had a life gain theme, am I correct in saying that? I think so, another... Or maybe Oath of the Gatewatch? Um, well, if for featured decks, there is... One card that gives lifelink, and it's a two-card combo, and that's Walking Ballista and Heliod right, the Suncrown. Yeah. Um, and how that combo works is uh, Heliod uh, is a god, um, but you can pay one in a white to give a creature lifelink, and you have if you have Walking Ballista come in with a minimum of two plus one plus one counters mm -hmm. on it, um, you give it uh, Walking Ballista. You can remove a. Uh, plus one, plus one counter to deal one damage. And Heliod also has whenever a creature, uh, whenever you gain life, you can put a plus one, plus one counter onto target creature. Mm -hmm. So what you do is you just give it lifelink, and then you're just using that the life gain to trigger Heliod to put the counter back onto Walking Ballista, and you just continually remove it. Remove it, deal yeah. damage, get another one. Remove it, deal damage, get another one. Right. And and each instance of damage that you're dealing, you're also gaining life, but that's not a big part of it. What what the big part of that deck is, is just getting to that combo. Yeah. Because as soon as that happens, if they can't interact with it, it's right. game. Now, currently there is no featured lifelink deck in Standard. However, there was a life gain, a mono-white life gain deck a couple years ago that was dominant in standard and that was the one where it had you know it's pride mate yeah i remember Orator. that one. yeah it was just it was all about gaining life and making creatures bigger so they do exist uh it just was there, there isn't one that's very popular right now if you're going to go up against or if you're going to decide to go ahead and use lifelink as your main ability one of the best ways is to pump up your creature, make it bigger. Obviously, the bigger the creature, when it hits, the more life you're going to gain. Uh, you can also look at how your deck is actually going to function. Is your deck going to be more offensive, where you want those big creatures swinging in, and so you need to be able to protect yourself by gaining that big amount of life? Or are you going to be more of a pillow forty deck, where you're going to have a lot of defensive creatures 
that are going to help you just gain so much life at the early part of the game that it's incredibly difficult to get past your defenses and lower your life total. And then later on, you're going to swing in with some bigger creatures. How do you actually want to gain the life, too? Remember, it's any time the creature deals damage. We already talked earlier about the idea of using Prodigal Sorcerer to deal damage and as well. Prodigal Sorcerer doesn't need to attack. It can simply tap, deal one damage to a creature or a player, and it'll, st it'll still gain the life. The Heliod Ballista Combo. Heliod, exactly. The Heliod Walking Ballista Combo works the same way. Now, regardless, lifelink does come from creatures, so you need to protect them. And it's usually to, good to have some kind of payoff in your deck for gaining life other than simply gaining life. Felidar Sovereign. Win the game if you have 40, more, 40 life. 40 or more. 40 or more. There is Griffin Airy that if you gain a certain amount of life, it's an enchantment, white enchantment, that if you gain a certain amount of life on your turn, you're going to put creature tokens, Griffin creature tokens, into play at the end of turn. So there are always some good things to have. Just make sure when you're focusing on your deck, you're actually taking all... Another good one, either Flux Reservoir. Right, gain life, and eventually use that life to one-shot your pay opponent, that, hopefully. <laughs> pay that 50 life to deal 50 damage. Exactly. Right? Yep. 50 life for 50 damage. Chris, if you're playing against somebody who is using lifelink, what do you do? Um, removal, removal, removal. Removal, removal. <laughs> um, so remove the creature from being able to deal damage. You can do this by uh, either destroying the creature before damage is dealt. Um, you can exile it again before damage is dealt. Or uh, my favorite is uh, fog effects. If you, if you prevent the damage... They don't gain that life. That's true. There's no damage that's dealt, so they don't gain anything. Um, be careful of life gain payoffs. Remove any if available, i.e. Walking Ballista, uh, Heliod, you'll have to exile it or yeah. make him sacrifice. Yeah. Um, either Flux Reservoir, any of these any of these cards that have payoffs to where they can just use, use their life as a resource, um, you'll want to remove those. Yeah. And then... You want to find the best way to negate the life gain. My favorite, uh, whenever that white deck was that, that mono white life mm -hmm. gain deck, um, I purposely main decked four uh, ley lines of punishment. Oh. Even if I wasn't running in all of my decks, I main boarded four of them. Okay. Even if I wasn't running red. Okay. Because ley line, uh, all of the ley lines have the ley line clause of if it's in your opening hand, you can put it onto the battlefield immediately. Right. Um, and so just by having that in there, uh, it go it literally goes start off. They can't uh, damage can't be prevented, and players can't gain life. Right. So even if they do have life link, they still can't gain the life. That's a good one. That's a good one. the The hard part about playing against life gain decks is really, you, there, there's no good way around preventing the life gain. There, there just, there isn't. And you do see life gain decks across multiple formats. I mean, not so much, I guess, anymore when you get, when you start looking backwards. Like, the further back you go, the less you see a, a life gain deck. You see them in Commander, frequently. Mm -hmm. But it, it's hard to interact sometimes, the life gain. Especially when it's lifelink or... Creatures entering the battlefield so you gain a life, it's it's really hard to do. If you don't catch on it early, they'll run away and you'll, you'll dig yourself into a massively deep that's hard to hard to do. Chris, let's go ahead and talk about Death Touch now. Yep. Going in the opposite direction, uh, what's the history on Death Touch? So, 
just like uh, uh, Lifelink, it was keyboarded in Lorwyn and has appeared in almost every set since in some way. Um, there are some some sets that kind of favor it a little bit more, some that don't really yeah. favor it a little bit. Um, but it has been around since Lorwyn. Which I it, couldn't find anything about it being like cards that may have had it prior to Lorwyn and being errated. But at the same time, I'm fairly certain there are cards that say something to the effect of whenever this creature deals damage uh, to another creature, destroy that creature. So it's it, it, it's one of those abilities that I'm sure it's been around, but the, the unique aspects of Death Touch have made it so you don't see it as frequent, and the cards don't get errated nearly as much. So let's dive into some of the rules. So, oh, you got you got something. So about the whole, just like with the whole uh, life link being uh, uh, having it going from whenever this creature uh, deals damage, gain right. that much life, getting eroded. Uh, would this? All right. So the card in question that I just pulled up is Stinkweed Imp. Um, it has whenever Stinkweed Imp deals combat damage to a uh, creature, destroy that creature. Close, but not quite. And there's an important difference there that we're going to talk about with the rules. Death Touch, 702.2. Death Touch is a static ability. 702.2b, a creature with toughness greater than zero that's been dealt damage by a source with Death Touch. Since the last time state-based actions were checked, is destroyed as a state-based action. 702.2c, any non-zero amount of combat damage assigned to a creature by a source with death touch is considered to be lethal damage for the purposes of determining if a proposed combat damage assignment is valid, regardless of that creature's toughness. This mostly gets into trample. We'll talk about that more later on. 702.2d, the death touch rules function no matter what zone an object with death touch deals damage from. This is important because there's one creature from the Return to Return to Ravnica, either guilds or something to that extent, uh, that actually gives your instants and sorceries death touch. So they deal damage from the stack, but it doesn't matter. And then finally, so, or sorry, not finally, 702.2e, if an object changes zones before an effect causes it to deal damage, its last known information is used to determine whether it had death touch. Again, we'll talk about that because I got a really cool combo of what I used to use not too long ago. And then 702.2f, multiple instances of death touch on the same object are redundant. So death touch, not an overly complex mechanic, uh, but it does work differently than what we have with Stinkweed Imp. Again, any time that creature deals damage, it's going to... Death Touch will kick in. This means Fight Spells, Death Touch. This means Prodigal Sorcerer, if it has Death Touch, that one damage can take down a large creature. Whereas Stinkweed Imp doesn't work that way. It has to deal combat nature. Uh, and that's, that's the main difference. Uh, um, see, I was going back yeah. and forth between Stinkweed and one of our featured cards. Right. Trying to, going through it almost word by word in the reminder text. And it was like, oh, okay, there it is. Yeah, yeah. But again, you, you don't want to... We start talking about our featured cards. First one <laughs> being Moonglove, Moonglove Winnower. It has Death Touch. It's a 2-3 Elf Rogue. Costs 3 generic and a black. 
But it's reminder text for Death Touch has whenever this creature deals damage to a creature, destroy that creature. That, that part is all good and true, but remember, Death Touch is not a triggered ability. So you don't have to wait for state-based... Well, you do wait for state-based actions to be checked, but it's only to determine if Death, death Touch damage has been dealt to a creature. The way this is worded, you would think it would have to go... That trigger would have to go on the stack... And then that trigger would resolve, and then you check state-based actions, and it would destroy the creature. All right, um, But the damage can be dealt, then you just check the state-based action. Was it damage with death touch? Yes. Kill it. Doesn't matter what it's tough. What's our next one? All right, next one is Glissa the Traitor. Uh, it's a legendary creature, zombie elf. For, it's a 3-3. Three, three. It costs black, green, green, and has first strike and death touch. Uh, and whenever a creature an opponent controls... Is put into the graveyard. You may return target artifact card from your graveyard to your hand. Um, so there's a... I did not notice that one. According to Scryfall, there is a third type on this card. Oh, yes. Phyrexian has been added. A number of creatures. So um, it's a Phyrexian zombie. Elf. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Glissa at this point, because this was Mirrodin besieged. Oh, uh, yes. Right? Yeah. Um, so at this point, yeah. Scars of Mirrodin circle with gears. Yeah. Mirrodin besieged is like the kind of rebel alliance looking one. Right. And then new Phyrexia is the Phyrexian, Phyrexian symbol. But by this point, Glissa in the storyline, Glissa has gone over to the Phyrexian side. She's become a Phyrexian. So they errated her true type to Phyrexian. Important point. Not only does Death Touch work great with Trample, but it also works really well with First Strike. So uh, when Glissa the Traitor... Uh, there was also another card that was released in this uh, in this block, mm-hmm. and it's Mindslaver. Yes. And uh, so what? And uh, so Mindslaver is you pay six, tap it, sack it, and you control your opponent's next turn, uh, target opponent's next turn. Right. So what you do is um, you have Gliss on the field. You crack um, Mindslaver, and then you control their turn. And if they have a creature. If they have a creature in play, you swing with that creature. Right. As long as it doesn't have first strike or double strike, you swing in with that creature. You block it with your Glissa, and because of the first strike and death touch, it will deal damage first, and then it will kill the creature before it can kill Glissa. Right. And then using her second ability, you bring Mind Slaver back into your hand, and then obviously since you're playing artifact shenanigans, there are ways that you can get artifacts into play rather cheaply yeah um and so first strike and death touch play so nicely together but not as nicely as trample and we will get to that later but we have to get on to our second uh, our next uh featured card this is the archetype of finality there is an entire cycle of archetypes from the born of the gods set this is the black archetype and it is a, an enchantment creature, Gorgon. It's a 2-3. It costs 4 generic, black, black. It has creatures you control have death touch. Creatures your opponents control lose death touch and can't have or gain death touch. Again, an entire cycle of these archetype cards from, from Born of the Gods. Fantastic to just give all your creatures death touch. A little pricey to get it out on the field at 6 mana, but at the same time to give all your creatures death touch rather awesome ability yeah rather good ability next all right and now we're going to take a look at coat with venom it's an instant instead of a creature uh and it costs one black and it has target creature gets plus one plus two and gains death touch until end of turn 
Um, so, combat trick. Uh, Great little combat trick. So, for instance, you could use this as they swing in with a big guy, and you put a you put just a little guy up in front of them, and they think, okay, nothing, all right, nothing's going to happen. Before damage is dealt, coat with venom on your creature. It does get a little bit of a buff, but what you're really, but what you really care about is death touch. Well, not only that, depending on, I'm a little, you you could take like zero one Eldrazi spawned and now use them as effective blockers. Because it gives it, it plus could, one. It gives it the plus one, plus two. Eldrazi spawn are zero one creature tokens. Typically, you use them as mana dorks. That's what their ability is. Mm-hmm. You can sacrifice it, add one mana of any color. Colorless. Colorless. Sorry, add a colorless mana. That would make more sense for me. But now you can put it in front of a creature, coat it with venom, and now it's a one three blocker. It's going to deal damage to the creature. Boom. There you go. Nice little, nice little bonus there. Our next card is Hooded Blight Fang. This is a creature snake. It's a 1-4. It costs 2 generic and 1 black. It has death touch, and whenever a creature you control with death touch attacks, each opponent loses 1 life and you gain 1 life. Also, whenever a creature you control with death touch deals damage to a planeswalker, destroy that planeswalker. Now, this card was specifically included in the show notes because it's one of the few cards that actually has like a death touch tribal idea to it you typically don't get that i mean you get a couple cards every set that are very small creatures that have death touch one ones for one with death touch that's a normal idea but the idea that it wants creatures with death touch to attack so you can drain and gain off of your opponents incredibly unique and it is the only card the only card that enables death touch to work against players which again if you remember from the rules Death Touch doesn't matter against it, only affects creatures. But the Hooded Blight Fang gets around that rule and enables it to uh, kill Planeswalkers as well. One Death Touch, point of damage. And then finally, Chris, tell us again about our wonderful card. And to round it all off, we're going to go back to Worm Coil Engine. I'm not going to go into the specifics of it, but again, it has Death Touch and Lifelink. Right. And whenever it dies, you get a Death Touch um, artifact creature token. So... You get the best of both worlds uh, with this one. Again, really powerful card, and, I mean, what's not to love about it? Right. It's fantastic. Our our color spread, again, we start looking at the different colors that are available. We have three to six cards in white, and I say three to six because they the white cards all have some kind of hoop that you need to jump through in order to give a death touch. I believe three of the cards are just pay a certain amount of mana. It's an activated ability that enables you to give the creature death touch for a a turn or something like that. The other three cards, I think, are more conditional triggered abilities, so it's a little more harder to actually give them death touch. But regardless, there (coughs) there aren't a lot of cards, white cards with death touch. Definitely not a white. We have two in blue. Again, not really a blue ability either. 152 in black, two in red, 60 in green, 71 in multicolor, and again, this is 71-ish. Some of those cards create creature tokens with death touch. Apatra Vizier of Poisons is a great example. Doesn't have death touch on her on her own, but creates snake creature tokens with death touch. 15 colorless cards and two land with death touch. So again, you really want to look at this the spread. Death touch is primarily a black colored ability. You do, however, see several cards in green. 
uh, they give they give death touch. One of them I know right off the top of my head comes from Zendikar Rising, Tajuru Nightblade or something to that extent. Anyway, it's a 1-1 for one green with death touch. You know, just, again, something uh, very simple, effective blocker. There's one from one of the new Innistrad ones where uh, creatures you control uh, as long as they are untapped. Or oh, yeah, Sarah. Untapped have death Sarah, touch. Right, 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 right. Yeah, grants death touch to creatures. So, and then there's also yeah. the one from Keldheim, I want to say, either Keldheim or... Oh, uh, Finn, the Fang yeah. Bear. Yeah. It has death touch as well. I think he works more... Oh, is it death touch and poison counters? Yes. Yes. Yeah, because whenever yeah. it... A uh, creature with that touch deals damage or attacks something like that. They get poison yes. Your your opponent gets poison counters, which so was it. really nice to see like poison counters pop up out of nowhere. Yes, and not related to infect. Yes, <laughs> agreed. So feature decks kind of like lifelink. There isn't really too much of a dedicated death touch deck. Um, you might see something along the lines of. Um, I know that at one point there was a Demir's Rogue deck, and a decent amount of them had Death Touch, and so Hooded Blightfang uh, made yeah. an appearance in it. But other than that, um, mostly not seen in the limited environment just because it's so limited. Exactly, yeah. With your card selection. And Death Touch is primarily a support ability for combat and removal and spells. Um, I do want to go back real quick with... Uh, and give an honorable mention for lifelink okay because it just popped into my head whenever you had uh with uh one of the cards uh that gives your instance uh death touch oh yes fire song and uh oh sun speaker yeah fire song and sun speaker gives your instant gives your red instance and sorceries lifelink yes so th that's there's true. another right instance. another great example mm -hmm. yeah all right so when you are playing with uh death touch uh small creatures can be deadly uh, they'll die easily, so prepare for either reanimation or replenishing your uh, your uh, token supply. Uh, there are many ways to use Death Touch aside from combat. Get creative. Can I talk about this one real quick? Because yes. I'm really proud of this one. Yes, right, you can so have this one. This was great, and something that I learned uh, actually through Arena. So it was it, from the Aquaria set. There was a creature called, the I believe it's the Serrated Scorpion. It cost one or two, but the point is it was a scorpion creature, insect creature that had death touch on it, all right? One of my favorite things to do was to play that, that creature and then mutate onto it Porcuparrot. Now, Porcuparrot had the ability tap, deal X damage to target creature, where X is the number of times this creature is mutated. Because of the scorpion, it had death touch, so really, it was a lot of fun because then I was able to go ahead and eliminate a bunch of creatures off of my opponent's board just by tapping the Porcuparrot Serrated Scorpion mutation. Because it, it still had Death Touch from the mutated build. So, remember, it doesn't have to be combat damage. That was a great way. And I, I had a couple people that, like, scooped immediately. As soon as they saw that I did that, they're just like, nope, I'm done. I can't beat that. I don't have the good removal. And odds are you have mul multiple copies. It's not worth it. Uh, so just a different way to use Death Touch to get her effectively that's not combat-based. That's all. Just wanted to throw that out there. And as we alluded to in our previous Trample episode, uh, Trample works beautifully with Death Touch because with Trample, how Trample and Death Touch together inter uh, work together is 
uh, whenever they assign, if they assign multiple blockers, you only have to deal with one damage to each creature, and then whatever is left over gets carried on to the player. Well, your opponent. So if they block, if you have, let's just say, you give Worm Coil, Worm Coil Engine trample, trample on top of everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah why not? Yeah. Well, let's give a keyword soup. Yeah. Um. So if you were to give it trample, and they block with three Eldrazi spawns, mm. so you just deal one damage to each of them, and then the other three will carry on to your opponent, and then you will gain six life. Yes. Yes, you will. <laughs> so. It's a win-win-win if you are able to get Keyword Soup. Um, including some kind of reanimation aspect is very beneficial. Um, again, if going back to the you know small creatures one, they're small, they die easily, but if you can reanimate them, uh, my favorite one is Immortal Servitude, which is a yeah. sorcery for X, uh, Orzov, 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 and by that, it's hybrid white-black. Uh, return uh, each creature from your graveyard to the battlefield with uh, mana value X or uh, right mana value X. I want to say, um, and so if you have a lot of like let's say one ones, you can do a mass block with them, and then your turn just bring them all back and just re- restock and replenish. Um, different formats again because it's a keyword ability. It's more of a support mechanic. Um, there are some niche, uh, mostly in Commander, especially with Finn. Yeah, you can see Death like Touch Tribal in Commander, but you don't see it in many of We do need to tell them how to play against uh, Death Touch, though. Oh, we do. They're, they're going to want that if they're going up against anything using Death Touch. Yep, I jumped the gun. That's all good. So, one of my... When we did the Baldur's Gate draft over at our LGS... One of the saving graces of my deck was I did have a lot of Death Touch, and it worked out really well. And I can tell you that, again, it's the same idea. I had a lot of little creatures, but they had Death Touch, and it was making it so my opponents did not want to hack into me. Most of the time, though, I gotta be honest, that's the wrong move. Play into them. Because, in all honesty, take your creature, swing into it. Just the, It's kind of like going up against a counterspell. The opponent is going to have the counterspell. The whole idea is that hopefully you can bait them into using the counterspell on something that's not as important as another card in your deck. If you play into the creatures with Death Touch, kill them, swing in once, something that hopefully isn't overly important to you, swing in, force them to block, it will work out so much better in the long run. Just play into it. They're going the, the creature with Death Touch is on the field. Unless you have a lot of removal, just play into it with your creatures and get rid of it. Removal will be your friend. So you do want to make sure that, you know, if they have a worm coil engine on the field and you can exile it, exile it, all right? You don't want to deal with that, all right? Because that, that is a nasty creature that you, you don't play into as much, mostly because a lifeline dies trigger. But if you can exile that, exile it. You do want to choose your attacks and blocks wisely, though. And again, if, it's a, if it's a, you're going up against a deck that you know has a lot of reanimation, to it to where they don't care if their creatures die all that much because they're just going to bring them back then you want to pay more attention and choose your block your attacks and blocks a little more wisely and the nice part about going up against a deck with a lot of death touch on the creatures you usually don't have to worry about a lot of combat they're they are it doesn't do them much good to pump their creature up with like power and toughness because one point of death touch damage kills the opponent 
So opponent's only, creature. Oh yeah, it kills the opponent's creature. All right. The only thing that could really go against that one point is if the uh, the, the the defending creature has indestructible, which negates death mm-hmm. touch damage because right? of that lovely destroy. Right. So you don't have to worry about combat tricks too much. The only thing you got to worry about with death touch and combat tricks is something like coat with venom. If you end up going up against a bunch of smaller creatures and then they drop coat with venom as an uh, just a random death touch card, right? To try to get rid of one of your big things. But typically you don't have to worry about combat tricks too much if it's a dedicated death. All right, before we dive into our next segment, we've covered lifelink and death touch. Chris, do you think there's anything else we need to tell our listeners about either of those two abilities? Oh, um, no. Okay. Life and death seems yeah. pretty simple. Yeah, we say that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, normally at this time, or, you know, the past couple of episodes, we've had a scuttlebutt little section where we, Chris and I have talked about something that's going on. Really, there's a lot of things happening in the world of magic right now. For example, I just heard today, the day of the recording, a card has been banned in Alchemy, the set that's not supposed to have banned cards because they can go in and actually just... It's a digital format only, so they can go in and fix the cards. Yeah, don't worry. We'll talk about that after because it's not going to be really relevant by the time this comes out. Uh, Double Masters 2022 is coming out. We've talked about that in detail already, so we'll probably have more info on that for you once it actually comes out. We've gotten to try out some of the cards from it. Maybe we might do a little bit of drafting, but I wouldn't count on it too much. So instead, today I want to talk to you about a YouTube series that I've started watching recently. It's a fantastic uh, series. The, the, the channel is called Judging for the Win, and I have actually already referenced this when we were talking about the, uh, on the Blitz episode, the Blitz mechanic, uh, and Henzi Toolbox Torre. So Judging for the Win is a YouTube series that's run by a guy named David. He is a certified magic judge. He does these wonderful episodes that are typically five minutes or less. If he has one that's more than five minutes, it means he's really got to go into something and the rules can probably get a little obscure. But he presents a variety of different interactions with a variety of difficulty levels and he rates all of his videos based off the number of stars. So like one star is very simple, five star is incredibly complex. He goes into detail about the correct ruling for the interaction. He cites the specific rules that he's referencing. He puts those rules on the screen so you can actually see them and read them and he goes along with you. But not only that, he makes it easy for someone who is not heavily knowledgeable in the rules to understand. You don't have to be a judge to understand what he's trying to talk about. You do need to have a better understanding of how the game works, I would say, than your maybe your your beginning player. But if you're a beginning player, it's a great opportunity. Go out, find those one-star videos so you can find some of those easier interactions and see how they work, and it'll quickly build up your knowledge of how the game functions. He puts out about three videos per week. He has also done some extended seminar videos as well. He talks about judge rulings based off of various actual events, and he simulates those for you in the video. Just a wide variety of of opportunities. But what I think is most important is he actually goes back and he curates his videos based on comprehensive rule changes. For example, when if you listen to our episode on Blitz, 
you'll know that I referenced a video in there, and I put the link to that video in the show notes. That video is actually no longer there, and I actually need to go back and change the, the, the show notes on that one, because that video no longer applies. So when a, a rule gets changed, he goes back and gets rid of videos that are no longer necessary or no longer accurate, which I think is really good. So many episodes and shows, our own included, you know, we're, we don't go back and delete things. We will probably, if we have to do serious updates, we'll just go and record a new episode. Uh, but we're going to leave the old one just for historical context. But he doesn't do that. So highly recommend. Go check out Judging for the Win. A lot of great videos with wonderful interactions. And I think he has over 400 rulings already. Uh, and again, with a variety of seminars. So some wonderful opportunities and some great information there. Go check it out especially if you want to just understand the game better. Fantastic. Chris, we have anything else we need to tell our listeners? Oh, well, aside from if you have any questions, comments, concerns, you want to give us your feedback, please, please, please give us feedback. Let us know what we're doing right. Let us know what we're doing wrong. Let us know what we can improve on. Let us know if there's anything that we can do to make this podcast better. Um, and you can do so by emailing us at mtgunderthehood at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at mtgunderthehood. And with that, I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of Magic the Gathering Under the Hood. I'm Chris. And I'm Joe. We look forward to delving deeper under the hood with you in our next episode. Stay tuned.